All right, ladies, welcome. You know, it's Erev Shabbat, and I don't make it easy this time to come to the class. But that's the time that we, uh, we have available. So it's to your credit that you're able to come on Erev Shabbat at 11.30. Although it's a long day, Erev Shabbat is never long enough when we have to prepare, etc. So I won't keep you long. I'll just say my business and then I'll wish you Shabbat Shalom and you could be on your way. <clears throat> Although, if you did make it uh, to the Shi'ur today, you're in for a treat because I do want to reveal uh, one of the greatest secrets. You're probably not going to hear it, you know, in other places. <clears throat> and some people will question, why does the rabbi even tell this to the ladies? You know, this belongs, you know, for the men in the yeshiva. Why does he even, uh, you know, risk saying these deep hadushim? But as I said in the Tehillim class on Tuesday, that I believe the Torah is equal opportunity. And therefore, you know, whatever is good for the men to digest, and the ladies as well should have the same opportunities. That's the introduction to say that the things we're going to say are a little on the deeper level. <coughs> we're learning Parashat Shelah. <coughs> I know Parashat Shelah is known to all of our members. Moshe Rabbeinu dispatches 12 spies and he sends them to Eretz Yisrael and they go on a 40-day expedition. When they come back, they produce a malignant report. It's a negative report against the land. <clears throat> Again, there were 12 of them. 10 out of 12 malign the land of Israel besides Kalev ben Yefuneh, and Yoshua bin Nun. They came back actually with a positive report, but they were in the minority. And as a result, the people believed the 10, and they were in a frenzy, and they became all uh, you know, upset, even cried, and that started to cause God to become angry. God, at one point, wanted to destroy the entire nation as a result of it, and start a new nation from Moshe. Moshe interceded, prayed for the people, and he minimized the judgment. Now, even though after the, uh, after the decreased judgment, it was still serious. And that is that all of that generation would die in the Midbar the next 40 years, and only the next generation would enter Eris Israel. So that's the short version of the story of the Miragelim. A few of the members, not in the ladies' class, but in the men's uh, group this week, over the course of the week, they ask me questions. I don't always have the answer readily available to them. Of course, I have to go consult with the books. I want to tell you a few questions that some of the men asked. I did not answer them. Then listen to the tape. I'm answering it over here. The question they asked was, that we read in Rashi that originally one of the spies' names was Hoshea, Hoshea bin Nun. And Moshe Rabbeinu changed his name. Vayikra Moshe the Hoshea bin Nun Yehoshua. And he added the letter Yud. And Rashi says, what's the significance of the letter Yud? He made a prayer for him. Ya Yoshiacha me'atzat menagilim that God should save you from the plot of the spies. 
So they ask the question, that's called favoritism. You want to change the names of the tribes to give them an advantage, change everybody's name, and give them all the same equal opportunity to succeed. Instead, it's almost as if, and in, in they call that nepotism, he, he took care of his friends and family. You know, Yeshua is a student, and he doesn't want Yeshua to get caught up in this plot. So he says, okay, listen, come Yeshua on the side, I'm going to give you something over here, Kamiya, I'm going to add a liut to your name, and therefore that guarantees your success. Now, if I was a lawyer representing the spies, I would make a class action suit against uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not fair. He, he, he only succeeded because you tipped the scale in his favor. And if you would have done the same to us, maybe, uh, maybe we, we would have had the same chance to succeed. That's the question they asked. Is it right or is it fair? Or make it easy because we don't want to ask a question like that. Why did Moshe bless Yoshua and not anybody else? Let's make the question like that. Now to me that's a question enough to demand some research. But they, uh, they posed another question, which I think is uh, also, were the spies good people or were they bad people? Don't answer. It's a trick question. Remember I told you, how does a rabbi always answer a question? It depends. You'll never be wrong if you say it depends. If you say they're good people, it's 50-50. You could be wrong. If you say they're bad people, it's 50-50. If you say it depends, you're always right, because everything depends on something. That's the first thing they tell us when we become rabbis. Never answer a question, yes or no. Always say it depends, and I'll think you're a hakam, because you're never wrong. So now I give you a ladies. Anytime they ask you a halakha question, always say, go like this with your hands. It depends. <laughs> and you'll be right. <clears throat> so again, the question is, are the other spies good people or it's bad people? What depends on at what point are you reading about them? Because in the beginning of the parashah, the pasuk says, send shalach lecha anashim. Now you know what the word anashim connotes? Anashim always connotes men of stature. Or we would say, great people. And Rashi actually says, <coughs> Anashim, uh, Rashi writes, Kol Anashim Lashon Hashivut. But anytime you have Anashim in the text, it means men of significance. And at that time that they were dispatched, they were good, they were kosher. So there's your answer. At the time that they were sent, they were kashir. Easy answer? Beautiful. Now let's go further. They go for 40 days, and they go to all the different directions, and they're preparing the report. And pasuchavav. el Moshe. Explain, what does it mean? And they went. Vayavu el Moshe, and they came to Moshe. Now this word Vayelechu is extra. It should just say Vayavu. We know they left already. Now they're coming back. It should say Vayavu el Moshe. Why does it have to mention on the way back? It reminds me that they left. Well, we know they left already. Now they're coming back. So it should just say Vayavu. So that she says, because there's a connection between the Vayavu and the Vayelechu. And then she says, what's the connection? 
מה ביעתן בעצה רעה, אף הליכתן בעצה רעה. Just like when they came back, they were already bad, because they were about to now give a bad report. So the return was bad, so that she says, so too was the leaving. When they left, they were also bad. That's the question they asked me. That's contradictory. You hit the question. I'm, I'm glad I said it clear enough that it's bothering you so much that you're saying it's a contradiction. It's a big contradiction. You just told me a second ago that they were kashir. Kulam anashim. And then the she tells me, Oh, you have to know. Just like when they came back, they were bad. When they left, they were just as bad. So now we're, 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 we have problems. We have big problems. Are you up to... Are you up to hearing one more question? I know I don't, I don't want to just ask questions. It's not, it's not Pesach that we came just to ask questions over here. But we're going to give an answer. No, the good news is that all these questions that I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give one answer. And it's going to, it's like magic. We're going to answer all of them. The, uh, all right, this is the third question. And then I'll just proceed. Although I have many more questions to ask with. All right, another question, ladies. Who sent the spies? He fell, he fell again. Who sent the spies? Why don't you learn what I just taught you? When a rabbi asks you a question, how do you answer? You fell right into the trap again. It depends. Finished. It depends. I gave you the rule and you broke it. The next question. Who sent the spies? It depends. Because it depends what pasuk you're looking at. If you look at the first pasuk, it says, Shelach lecha anashim. It sounds like Moshe is sending them. Shelach lecha, you send. And Nashim, by the way, comments. God says, I'm not telling you to send. You know, I, I, I told them the land was good. I don't think they should do this. I think it's a bad idea. But if they want to send, good luck to them. And therefore, you know, they're asking for it. So you send, but you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not sending. I'm not telling you to do it. So really, according to the first pasuk, it's being done by the people they requested it, and Moshe Rabbeinu then is executing it. Only problem is, if you look at the next pasuk, Vayishlach otam Moshe midbar paran alpi Adonai. What does alpi Hashem mean? By the word of God. By the word of God sounds like he sent it because Hashem said. And you're going to tell me that's a contradiction. It's a big contradiction. Make up your mind. Was it sent by Moshe? Or was they sent by an instruction of God? How do you tell me it's Alpi Hashem? That's it. Those are the three questions. Do I have to review the three questions for you again? No, you remember them. Okay, fine. So now, now we have to start giving, uh, giving the approach. Again, were they kosher? Weren't they kosher? Depends. Who sent? Was it Moshe Rabbeinu that sent it? Or was it the God? And number three we asked, why is he only giving Yeshua a blessing and he's not blessing the other Shivati? What I have in front of me here is a sefer that I received from a, uh, a friend of mine, Mr. Septimus. In Brooklyn, Judah, may live and be well. 
uh, it's called Mahsof Halavan. Mahsof Halavan is a commentary on the Torah that was written by the great Sadiq Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hasera. Zechir Sadiq Levracha. That's called Abir Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hasera is uh, the grandfather or great grandfather of the Baba Saleh and all those great Sadiqim of Abu Hasera family. And one of his descendants is Rabbi David. Rabbi David Abu Hasera, may live and be well, is a Nahariya. One of the great Sadiqim of the generation. And he accepted upon himself to take his grandfather's works and to reprint them and to put pirushim and elucidations on it. Well, we have to give them credit. They printed Mahsof al-Aban Habahir, the clear uh, interpretation, because it's a hard book. So you need footnotes really to explain what he's talking about. So they brought a whole tzivit, a whole uh, uh, crew of rabbis, and they pour over the manuscripts in the book, and they open it up and they explain exactly what the kavanah of the rabbi was. I was by Rabbi David many years back, and he had given me an old version of Mahsof Halavan without the commentary. And I tried my best to break my uh, teeth, as they say, to understand it, and it wasn't so easy, so I kept it on my shelf. Uh, but now he presented me with the new version of it, and it's, uh, it's like butter, and it's such such beautiful hadushim. So the presentation today really is the uh, product of Mahsof Halavan. And he bases many of his uh, Compositions or his essays on the words of Arizal. Arizal is the great Kabbalist. So now you're learning Parashat Shelah behind the scenes. This you will not find on the, on the text of the Chumash. This you need to go behind closed doors, under the table, and the Arizal gives you the, the sword. And the sword is as follows. Yosef al-Sadiq. Being that he's a Sadiq, we know that Sadiq only speaks the truth and will not lie. that correct? That Sadiq, even if he lies, he will not intentionally lie. For sure not. Because one of the most important midot is to be emet. Especially Yosef is the son of Yaakov and Yaakov is emet. And Yosef followed the way of his father. So for sure, we will never catch Yosef compromising the truth. Fair to say. Esrav Arizal, that if you remember when the brothers went down to Mitzrayim to get food, and they were now presented in front of Yosef, they didn't know that that was Yosef. They thought he was the viceroy of Egypt. They didn't realize they were standing in front of their brother. And if you remember, Yosef gave them a hard time. And one of the things he tells them, Vayomer lahem Yosef, meragilim atem. You are spies. You came to spy out the land. Now Yosef knew that they weren't spies. Yosef knew good and well that these are his brothers and they came out to get food. So how could the tzaddik lie? Now, I understand he's trying to scare them, he's trying to get them a little nervous, I have no problem with that. But you can't lie. You can't say, he just said something that's a total untruth. 
if you would ask yourself in private, Yosef, you think they're spies? Of course not. I'm just scaring them. I'm intimidating them. So you can't do that. You're a tzaddik. You can't, you can't call somebody a spy if you know he's not a spy. And that's really the first time in the Torah where we see the subject of the spies. Not in Parashat Shelah, but in Parashat over there, what is it, in Miketz, uh, in Vayigash, Perek Membet Pasuktet. So if you want to understand the secret of the spies, find in the Torah where the first place it mentions the spies, and then you'll start to understand what's going on over here. You understand how we're doing this? So if you want to understand, so somebody's going to say, what did the rabbi talk about today? He talked about Yosef HaSatik. Well, there's not enough for the parashat to talk about. What did Yosef HaSatik care? Yeah, because to understand the story of the spies, you need to understand the story of Yosef HaSatik. Why did he call the brothers Benagilim? Says the Arisa. Ishtabaha Bore. God knows what's going to happen before it happens, obviously. God is not only in present and past, but God also is future. The name of God is Yudkevavke Hayahove Yehiyeh. We maybe remember some of the past, we don't have such good memories. The present, we have no idea what's going on. If something, what's happening, we have no idea what's happening. And the future, forget about it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has all these three tenses in front of him at all times. So he knew that the spies were not going to succeed. But in order that it shouldn't be so bad, he gave them a little assistance. Let me explain to you what the assistance is. I don't know if you ever experienced this. I doubt it. But there is something that is referred to in the Kabbalah. The Arizal talks about it in Shara Gilgulim, Rahim Vital. It's called Ibur Neshama. Ibur Neshama means that it's possible for an old soul to temporarily come into a person in order to give him a spiritual boost. In order to uh, advance the person, to give the person a certain lift. So God will dispatch an old neshama tzaddik and temporarily he will dwell in the person and while he's dwelling in the person, the person is elevated now as a, on account of that soul that's in him. It doesn't stay forever. Eventually it leaves. And we know there were great tzaddikim even in the past generations that had Ibu Neshama. Uh, there was a, a rabbi called Rabbi Shmuel Di Uzida. He was a student of Rabbi Ali. One time one of the Talmidim walked into the Shi'ur and uh, the Ali, I'm sorry, Rabbi Shmuel Di Uzida walked into the Shi'ur and the Arizal stood up for him. He stood up for the student, and then he told him, what did you do today? You must have did a big mitzvah. He said, yes, I did mitzvah of kibbud avayim. He said, well, when you were doing that mitzvah, the neshama of a great tzaddik, I think it would be Pinhas bin Ya'ir, or one of the great tzaddikim, came inside of you. And therefore, I was standing up for the neshama that's inside of you. That's why I stood up, because you brought an old soul down. There was a great rabbi in Halab, Rabbi Mordechai Abadi, he was the grandfather of Acham Matlub. 
And Rabbi Zatiyah said it was known in Halab that he was the, he had Ibu Neshama of Rabbi Nahmani, one of the rabbis of the Talmud. And that's what happens. It's called Ibu Neshama. The Ben Ishchai had Ibu Neshama of Ben Ayahu, Ben Yehoyada. Certain Sadiqim are able to have this. And it puts the person on a very, very high spiritual level. But as I said, it's temporary. At a certain point, if the person makes a sin or a person gets angry or something like that, the Ibu says, that's it, I only came to help the guy. The guy is making sins, I'm not interested. I didn't come to get dirty, I came to help. He wants to make sins, I'll see you later, I'm out. He goes back upstairs. Okay? Maybe one day we'll give a class on Ibu and the Shamot. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. It's possible for souls that have left the world to come back. So says the Rab, the Miragelim needed help. The spies needed help because Borei Olam knew that they're going to have a big test. So therefore Borei Olam says, I'm going to dispatch some old souls to escort them. And who were the old souls? The old souls were the souls of the tribes. So therefore each tribe sent the representative. But in that representative was the Ibur Neshama of the tribe that he was representing. So therefore, let's take the first of them. The first one was from the tribe of Reuven. So his name was Shamua bin Zakur. But who was inside of Shamua bin Zakur? Reuven. And that's what the Pasuk says. Lemate Reuven. Lemate Reuven doesn't only mean from the tribe of Reuven, but it actually said, means Reuven was present. Lemate Shimon. Lemate Yehuda. So therefore when Yosef calls the brothers Miragilim, he's not lying. Because he saw in the future that one day, the brothers are actually going to be Miragilim. Because they were Miragilim. Because they, in the concept of Ibur Neshama, they were Miragilim. So the Tzaddik doesn't lie. You understand so far? Good. When you had enough, just tell me, had enough, I'll go home also. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't want to push this on you. With this, the Arizal says, when you look at the way the Torah refers to the spies, the Torah refers to them as after it lists all the twelve, let's do a pasuk. But no, before that, the pasuk says, "Shelach lecha anashim v'yaturu teres kenan anashim noten de bnei Yisrael." Fine. Ishehad, Ishehad. Kulam Anashim. They were all men. Rasheh Bnei Yisrael Hema. They were the heads of Bnei Yisrael. Now, what does it mean, Rasheh Bnei Yisrael? Says the Arizal. They were actually Bnei Yisrael. They were the sons of Yisrael. What's another name of Yaakov Abinu? Yisrael. So the Pasuk is saying, besides them being men of stature, they were actually B'nai Yisrael. They were literally the sons of Yisrael. Because they were the Shevatim. And that's where, they, that's where they came from. So it's alluded to in the text. 
Now we understand something else. Tell me how you learn this pasuk, ladies. Shalach lecha anashim, be'atur tazkenan, asher anin uten lebnei Yisrael, ish echad, ish echad, lemateh avotav tashlachot. What does this mean? Ish echad, ish echad. You know how I learned it yesterday? It's a double language, but it just means one per tribe. Ish echad, ish echad. Why would the Torah write it double? I think that's just the way people speak. Meaning one per, one per, one per. But according to the Arizal, no, each tribe is actually having two representatives. Ish echad, ish echad. One ish is this shevet that you see in front of you, the guy that's going. And the other ish echad is the one that's inside of him, which is the ibun neshama that you don't see. So therefore, in the text already, the Arizal sees his, his principle. Ishihad, Ishihad. Everybody was really made of two. So when you go tonight at the Friday night table, and they say, oh, what did, what did the rabbi teach you? Just say, he taught us about the 24 spies. <laughs> and they said, what, what was he? What was he drinking? What was in the coffee of the rabbi? 24 spies? You mean 12. No, you mean 12. We mean 24. 24? Yeah, the 12 that you see, and the 12 that you don't see. And then you show them the pasuk. Ishehad, Ishehad. They'll be stuck. They won't be able to answer you. Why did it say double Ishehad, Ishehad? Because each one of the tribes was doubled. And now what happens? We have a problem. We have... <laughs> I have until... <laughs> I have until 1220 to... to, to and then when I say I rest my case, then we'll hear the opposition. So therefore, the question is, if you look ahead of every one of the tribes, or any one of the members that was sent, it introduces it with one of the names of the tribes. Lemate Shimon, Lemate Yisachar, Lemate Binyamin, Lemate Zivulun, Lemate Yosef, Lemate Dan, Lemate Asher. But when you get to Yehoshua Benun, it says, Lemate Ephraim. Oh, Ephraim is not a tribe. Now, Ephraim comes from Yosef. Yosef is a tribe, but he was used up already. The Pasuk says, Lemate Yosef, Lemate Menashe. So Yosef's Gilgul went into Menashe. So now the question is, Yoshua is left without an Ibun Neshama. All 11 have Ibun Neshama. Yosef does not. Eleven of the tribes were represented. Yosef is represented as well. But Yoshua, poor guy, poor man, doesn't have the upgrade. Now what is the only tribe, ladies, that was not represented? The tribe of Levi. Levi is not one of the twelve here. Now we understand, says the Arizal. Moshe Rabbeinu's is dispatching each tribe. He looks at them, he says, okay, let me come here, come here, uh, the guy. 
Okay, you have the ibud, beautiful, you're good to go. You have, he has an x-ray machine. He gives him a sonogram. Yeah, I see you have the ibud, you're good. You good, go, go, go. Comes to Yoshua. He doesn't have. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. He had to do something to Yoshua in order not to give him an advantage necessarily, but in order to make him equal with everybody else. And therefore he says, you need a name change. So he adds the Yud to Yoshua, says that he gave him the Neshama of Levi. Understand? Again, who's carrying the Neshama of Levi? Moshe. Because Moshe is some tribe of Levi. So therefore that's why, by Yikram Moshe to Yoshua, how do you make Ibud Neshama? You add a letter to his name. By adding the letter Yud to his name, that was bringing down the Neshama of Levi and putting it in Yoshua. So now everybody's got an Ibud Neshama. It's just that Moshe had to do it directly to Moshe, to Yoshua. Are you following? That answers a question that we asked before. You can't sue Moshe for giving Yoshua preferential treatment. Moshe Rabbeinu can answer. All you people at Ibn Shema, poor guy Yoshua, he didn't have anything. So I had to, had to give him. So what did you give him? I gave him the best one. I gave him Levi, I gave him me. That's, uh, that's not anybody's fault. That's all we had left. They banned him. Oh. Now I understand very good. When the Pasuk comes along and says, who sent the spies? Shalach Lecha. Moshe sent them. But the Pasuk says later on, Al Pi Hashem. What does it mean, Al Pi Hashem? Moshe Rabbeinu sent the physical spies. Al Pi Hashem, but Hashem added the spiritual element of Ibn Neshama. So both are correct. Understand what I just said? Shalach Lecha. Yeah, Moshe, you said, you said the physicals. But somebody has to bring down Ibn Neshama. That's God's business. So the spies were also sent Al Pi Hashem. That's the Gabed Ibn. You see how beautiful it is? Now, so far, all this is being said by Rabbi Arizal. Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hasera adds, and he says that the Torah refers to them as Anashim. What does this word Anashim mean? So the Rab comes along and he says, it's actually a Rashetevot, Anashim. Elu Neshamot. Shifte ya me'ubarot. Again, anashim. Elu, these are neshamot, the neshamot. Shifte ya of the tribes of God. The mem stands for me'ubarot because they were in the concept of ibu neshama. So the pasuk is saying, kulam anashim. Yes, they were anashim, these people over here. What does it mean anashim? They were uh, 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 people that were enjoying now the benefits of Ibn Shama. So beautiful. Now watch what happens. So they go. 
what happens when they get there. Just because you have Ibud Neshama doesn't mean you don't have free will. Remember that. It's just that you have a, an advantage. You're, you're, you're giving a little uh, boost. I don't like to say booster because then you're going to think about the vaccine. So I, I don't want to mention that, but I'll say a boost. We had enough of that, uh, enough of that stuff. So it's a boost. But like the vaccine, it doesn't mean it's going to work. I have no opinion on this. Uh, in any event, when they got there, it seems the test was so great, they couldn't, they couldn't. Uh, so once already in their mind, they started to go negative, the Ibur Neshama left them. And that's what it means when it says, Vayelechu Vayavo'u. That is, it says, Vayelechu, the Ibur left. Vayelechu, the Ibur left, Vayavo'u. And then they came back. They left with Ibu Neshama, but when they came back, they came back as themselves. Vayelechu, the Ibu Neshama left when they made the negative already report in their brain. So when they came back, they came back as themselves. And now we understand. The question that I asked you earlier, were they kosher or not? So that she says, when they left, Kulam Anashim, Yes, when they had Anashim, when they had the Ibn Neshama inside of them, they were kasher. But when they came back, they didn't have Ibn Neshama. And then as she says, already, they were bad. And as she says, they were bad just like when they left. Because they themselves were bad, maybe. But the Ibn Neshama was always good. So they were, when she says, that just like when they came back, they had a problem. When they left, they had a problem. Because they themselves had a problem. It was the Ibu Neshama that was good. Understand what we just said? When you're looking at the people themselves, they were predisposed from the beginning to make a mistake. Either she says they were good, that's referring to the Ibu Neshama inside of them. Kulam Anashim, she says around the word Anashim. On the Enlu Neshamot Shifteyam Barot, they were good. But they themselves, they had an issue. And that's why there's no contradiction in that. We didn't begin yet. This is an introduction to what I came to discuss uh, this morning. But it's a, it's a deep introduction. Now watch what happens. What happens over here, if something beautiful, Who are the only tribes that did not lose the Ibur? It has to be Yoshua and Caliph. Because they didn't make any sense. So Yoshua was able to hold on to the Neshama of Levi. And Caliph, which is from the tribe of Yehuda, was able to hold on to that Neshama as well. Asks, and where do we see that from? So the Rab proves it from a pasuk. If you look at the pasuk later on when they come back, the pasuk writes, I'm reading pasuk Lamed Het. 
ויהושע בן נון וכלב בן יפונה היו, they lived, מהאנשים ההם ההולכים לטור את הארץ. What do you mean? יהושע בן נון וכלב, they lived from the men that went, which means the simple explanation is the rest of the ten died, the ten spies that spoke bad died, That's what happened. It says there was a Magifah, they died. Their tongues came out and went to their belly. But after, after lunch, we'll, we'll discuss it. <laughs> Now it says over here, but who were the ones that survived it? They survived it, because they, they were good. Says the Yaakov Abu Hasid Adib. These people lost their Ibu Neshama. Because they were the Sha'im, they spoke bad. And we know the Rasha is called Met. The Rasha is, even the Rasha, when he's alive, he's called Met. He's not alive, the Rasha, he has no spirituality. Who's the only ones that remained alive? Means who are the ones that still maintained the Ibu Neshama? The Yoshua, Birun, Bekalim, Hayu, Minha Anashim. From all those Anashim that received Ibu Neshama, who were the only ones that maintained it, that were still living with Ibu Neshama? Yeshua ben Mekalev. So you see, they, they were still alive. They still had what the other ones lost. He even says more. He even says more. He says... says like this. How can I explain this to you? I'm doing all right. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your, thank you for your support. I appreciate the vote of confidence. Thank you. Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned for the, for the welfare specifically of Yoshua, more than anyone. Why was he concerned? What's happening here in the story of the Meraglim has ramifications to today's days. Anything that happens today or in the future, its roots are in an old story. That Sadiq always is planting seeds for future history. And we know there's a future history that is unfolding in front of our eyes. We don't know exactly how it's unfolding, but our tradition is there'll be Mashiach, Bezat Hashem. No doubt about that. And Mashiach, there's two Mashiachs. One is called Mashiach ben Yosef, and one is called Mashiach ben David. And the Mashiach ben Yosef is the first Mashiach that comes, and then... Somebody walk out, hold on.
work with that athletic. Somebody work it out, make sure she's okay. Just keep an eye on her, girls. Okay, somebody's there with us, she'll be fine, Ms. Atisha. Mashiach. We said Mashiach. She told Mashiach came. She told Mashiach came. She can't blame her. There's two Mashiachs. She'll be fine. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. I don't know if you ladies have Kabananda Amida every day, but every day we pray for Mashiach ben Yosef. Because the tradition says that there's going to be a man that's called Armilos. Armilos is a Rasha. I don't know who he is. Is it Putin? Is it Zelensky? Is it Biden? We don't know who he is. It calls him Armilos. And all we know about Armilos is he is uh, uh, supposedly the one that's going to kill Mashiach ben Yosef. And we don't want that to happen. So we pray every day that Mashiach ben Yosef should be protected from Armilos. Says Rabbi Yaakov Abu Husayra, he will be protected. And you know why he'll be protected? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was already preparing that event in the story of the Meragelim. He says, why was he so concerned about his student Yeshua? Because Yeshua is from the tribe of Yosef. And Yeshua represents Mashiach ben Yosef. And Kalev is from Yehuda. And Yehuda represents Mashiach ben David. These are the two Mashiachim. Yeshua and Kalev. And Yeshua and Kalev, they're the only two that survived the expedition. And Moshe was concerned that the Meragelim were going to kill Yeshua. And if the Meragelim kill Yeshua, that's already going to set up the stage that Armilos will kill Mashiach ben Yosef. So therefore he had to give him an extra neshama of Levi. Not only that he shouldn't make a mistake, but he gives him the most significant of the Shibatim in order to protect Yeshua because the tribes wanted to kill him. And the tribes represent Armilos in this situation. And the fact that they weren't able to kill him, already Rabbi Yaakov says, they both survived the situation. That already prepares for us, Mashiach bin Yosef, the Mashiach bin David. Already the, 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 the stage is set. Oh, once you, once you start to understand this, he says, he says the following. And I'm reading from his, uh, from his Lashon. And he writes, V'sod kiriyat Hashem azeh the secret why he gave him the new name, ki himshich alav nishmat levi bin Yaakov. He gave him nishmat levi. Now how by adding a letter yud, do you give him a neshama transplant? How does he get a neshama transplant of Levi by adding the letter Yud? I would have added the letter Lamed. I don't know, Lehoshua. Lehoshua, at least it's as, I guess Levi has a Yud in it also. But why is the Yud? So I saw brought down from the Sephardim. The Leviim are connected to the number 15. Why? I'm sure some of you ladies read Tehidim on Shabbat. And you read Shira Ma'alot, Shira Ma'alot, Shira Ma'alot. There's 15 Shira Ma'alots. Azaka Baruchah. What does Ma'alot mean? 
The steps. The song of the steps. The song of the steps, what, 10,000 steps? What's the song of the steps? He says, no, because in the Beit HaMikdash, there were 15 steps that went from one section to the other section. And who stood on those 15 steps? The Levi'im. And what did the Levi'im in the Beit HaMikdash do on those 15 steps? They sang. The Levi'im was the official choir of the Beit HaMikdash, was the Levi'im. And therefore, whenever you talk about the number 15, that's connected to Shebet Levi, because they were on the Ma'alot, the 15 Ma'alot in the Beit HaMikdash. Now, Moshe wants to put Levi's Neshama into Yoshua. What is his name, Yoshua, before the Yud? Hoshea. He's got the hair. What does he need to make a hair into 15? A Yud. Now the first two letters of Yoshua's name is what? Yud He. Shira Ma'alot. That's already the Yud Ke, getting in the 15 steps. That's how you transplant a Neshama of Levi, Odpam. His name was Hoshea. Oh, that, we can think. We can think another time about Sarah. We can think another time about Sarah. No, I know you. I know you're drawn to Sarah, Amen. But I'm telling you now, the yud care, the yud care was done on by design in order to to make that uh, to make that item. Now watch this over here. So the other tribes, they lost their ibud neshama. But elu ashnayim, Kalev and Yoshua. But then he says something amazing. What happened to the other ten that left? So you have to know what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, when the tzaddik benefits, God doesn't only give him his share, but all the peoples that lost their chilek, it goes to the tzaddik. Let me explain to you simply. You believe that there's a place called Gan Eden? Let's say it's a piece of real estate. And everybody has a piece of real estate. What happens to all those pieces that were forfeited? That are in foreclosure? A rasha loses his piece in Gan Eden. Who gets it? It just remains vacant? It remains uh, 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 empty? No. God gives the vacant pieces to the tzaddik. It says, Zachat Sadiq Notel et Shelov et Shelhabero. Says Rabbi Yaakov. What happened to the ten Iburim? They didn't go up. You know what happened? They went into Yoshua and Kalev. So, yes. Could you believe it all ten? You believe how great these men must have been? You know what it is to get one Ibur? Now, <laughs> Ibur literally means pregnant. So you never had anybody pregnant with 10 people. I mean, I heard somebody gave birth to quadruplets. That was a big accomplishment, I thought. Sextuplets maybe in the times of Mitzrayim. But now, they're pregnant with 10 neshamot. And these are holy souls. And how does he learn it? He learns it from the pasuk. The Yoshua ben Nun v'kaleb ben Yifuneh hayu min ha'anashimahem. He took the souls of ha'anashimahem and they lived from them. They got all of them. Why? Because God was protecting the Mashiachim. God was protecting the Mashiachim. He was protecting Mashiach ben Yosef from the tribes of the moment. Because Yeshua was in danger. The, the, the Menachim could have killed him. He was in the minority. Yeshua needed an extra special prayer. Moshe wasn't worried about Kalev, because Kalev is Mashiach ben David. 
Hashem ben David is strong. Yehuda, Yehuda doesn't need protection. But Hashem ben Yosef, we know he's going to be killed. So therefore, he needed an extra. So he didn't only give him a simple protection. He put all the ten uh, uh, neshamot into both of them. And then he says, if you take the word hayu, if you take the word hayu, hayu is a nashetevot. Uh, What's the nashetevot? So he says, gam milat hayu berashetevot, which is what? Helek yud vechelkam. Again, Helek Yud, a Helek of the ten, Vechelkam, plus their own. Hayu, they had, they had everything. They had their own, plus, so they were, they were carrying now everything basically inside of them. Hayu. Now, finally, just to show you how deep this is. Kalev made a pit stop when he got to Israel. Not for a falafel sandwich. He went to Me'arat HaMachpelah, which Baruch Hashim, we were there a couple of weeks ago. Friday morning, and, and we woke up in Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we took a bus to the Me'arat HaMachpelah, and we prayed sunrise at the graves of the Avot. Uh, this is a gift from Hashem that we're able to be at Me'arat HaMachpelah on that special day. Avot. This is a, such a great place to pray. So Kalev saw that there's trouble. So what did he do? It says in the Pasuk, ad Hebron. He came until Hebron. It should say, they came. No, because they didn't go to Hebron. He went alone. He went solo. To pray by Kivrit Sadiqim. And it says he went to the grave of, of Ramabinu and Tzhag, etc. He prayed. And they helped him. They helped him. Says the Ariza. When the Torah comes and tells us about Kalev, it says, Ve'avdi Kalev, my servant Kalev. He calls him Avdi Kalev. Says the Ariza. Kalev was also an old soul. He wasn't always Kalev. Kalev initially was the, in the body of Eliezer Eved Avraham. That means Eliezer Eved Avraham originally was Kalev, that was him. And he was Arul. He was, uh, he was not yet rectified. And he came back as Kalev. That's why Eliezer says he went to the graves of the Avot. Because he's once again Avraham Abinu's blessing. Because in the previous Gilgul, he was Eliezer. And if it is correct, Abraham, so he's naturally attracted. That's why it says, Va'avdi Kalev. Because originally, Kalev was Evid. He was Evid Abraham. So he went from being Avdi to Kalev. And that's why he had a connection to Kivre Avot. And that's why those two were protected. Yoshua was protected because he got the Neshama of Levi from Moshe. And Kalev was protected because he went to Kivre Avot. They had the extra protection. The other Shiva team didn't think to do that. They were predisposed for whatever reason. God tried to give them an advantage with the Ibn Neshama, but because they had the negative attitude, the Ibn Neshama would leave them and ultimately would go to Yoshua and Kaleb. And at least 
the good news of this story is, although they failed in producing a good report for Eretz Yisrael, but the two Mashiachim are protected. There's a silver lining in the story. Mashiach ben Yosef is protected from the Meragelim, and therefore Mashiach ben Yosef will not fall to Armilos, and Kaleb ben Yefune, which is represented from Yehuda, which is, Yos- which is David, Mashiach ben- the two Mashiachim are now established. So even though the Perasha itself has a bad ending to it, but I say that that bad ending is a temporary bad ending. If you look at it through the eyes of the Mekubalim, they see something positive that came out. The fact that Yeshua was not lynched by the Meragelim, there's hope for Mashiach ben Yosef. That means he will be able to emerge unscathed. And the fact that Kalev came back as is, that means there's hope for Mashiach ben David. And in conclusion, we remind ourselves that that's why in the first Beracha and the Amidah, we say Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. That's our daily visit to the Ma'arat HaMachpelah. We can't visit the Ma'arat HaMachpelah in person every day. But the Baal Shem Tov said, where your mind is, that's where you are. The Bekubalim don't look at a person's location where he physically is located. If my mind is in Hebron, I'm in Hebron. You're able to transpose yourself mentally. That's the way the Bekubalim understand it. And the same thing is, I can be in the Bet Knesset, but if my mind is uh, in the pool, then you're in the pool. You're not in the Bet Knesset. <laughs> you can put a towel around your head. You can be anywhere in the world, but it's where your mind is. So every morning when we say, we're making a trip to the Ma'arat al-Makhbila. We're going to visit Kibre Avot. And what do we do at that visit? At the end of the first parakah, we say, We pray for the Mashiach that they should send him just like Kalev. When he went, he understood that you got to go to Kibre Avot to pray that the two Mashiachim will be able to, to succeed. And therefore, we take the same, we follow the same footsteps of the Sadiqim. That we must uh, 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 make a, uh, a daily uh, visit and a daily respect to the Kibre Avot. Uh, somebody asked, uh, what about the Imahot? Uh, that's a, a good question. I once saw that it's brought down Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov. Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov. Some say that if we learn that Ishtoke Gufo, if you say that in a marriage, Ishtoke Gufo, that it's, it's one entity. So by mentioning Abraham, it's where, and whoever's attached to Abraham. Abraham, somebody's attached to him. So therefore, include Sarah. The, the Avot and the Imahot are uh, attached. There's nothing, there, there's, no, uh, there's no other way. So therefore, you don't have to mention the, the And there's a reason why they don't want to mention the Imahot, maybe according to the Kavanot. But you shouldn't think that we're not alluding to them by mentioning Abraham. It includes Abraham and Sarah. And when you say it's hak, it means it's hak It's automatic. It means Yaakov, means Yaakov. They're included in the in the text. But the point is, 
just like Kalev went to Kibre Avot and prayed, therefore this Shabbat specifically, the Parashah of Shelach, where we're introduced to the two Mishihim, the books bring down, you have to pray the first Parashah of the Amidah with extra, with extra Kavanah. And these Parashahs always come before the three weeks. They start before we mention Rosh Hodesh Tammuz. This week we're going to announce Rosh Hodesh Tammuz. Once you mention Rosh Hodesh Tammuz, it's not ready. We know Tammuz means all the, all, the, all, the, all the fun is ahead of us. Tammuz is the Taniyod. So before that comes, we make one more push. One more push of Parashat So it's not the saddest Parashat that you thought it was. It actually has a, a silver line. And as I pray, that these revelations that the Tzadikim gave us, it should be not only a revelation in text, but Yolam should be Megalil Lanu Etakis. She revealed to us the actual Mashiachim themselves. With the heralding of Mashiach bin Yosef, and then Bezat Hashem Mashiach bin David, the Meravi Amen.